Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Last time, we discussed disagreement on the internet. But what happens when it shows up on your doorstep? What happens when the people spouting crazy, unbiblical beliefs are not staring at you from the other side of a screen, but actually sitting across from you at the dining room table? In this episode, Cameron is going to share a recent experience talking to some door-to-door evangelists. We'll offer some advice on how to make the most of these unexpected and sometimes unwelcome opportunities. In our last episode, we talked about how important it is for Christians when they are online to treat other people in a Christ-like way. But what happens if other people come to your doorstep and start sharing their crazy beliefs with you? At that point, how do you react? It's not an unrealistic scenario. Even today, when we are much less reluctant to answer our doors, than we used to be. It's not unusual to have people go through the neighborhood, knock on doors, want to share their beliefs. Um, And Cameron, you recently had this experience. I did. Where you had your door knocked and got to spend a little time talking to some some people with very interesting beliefs. That's right, yeah. And it had been a long time since something like this had happened, so I was not prepared. I don't think I'm ever prepared for that, but... (laughs) But uh, yeah, okay. So let me let me say a few things about it. So it was it was just Sunday afternoon. So we were just sitting around as one does, and you know, loud knock at the door, which is such a surprise nowadays. Anyway, like anybody right. knocking at your door is oh my gosh, what's going on? So I go answer the door, and, and it was just a couple, yeah, a guy and a girl, and and they just sort of launched right into a discussion, and he. The first thing he said was, hey, we're not Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. We are from a church, you know, in town. And we want to talk to you about about Jesus, basically. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I like Jesus. Okay, let's, let's I'll hear them out a little bit. And so I just, I kind of like stood there for a little bit. And they started talking about all kinds of things. It turns out this couple was from the world society or the world mission society church of God, I think is what it's Mm. called. So anyway, I'm not going to go into like all of the, the sorts of beliefs that, that they were um, holding, but they were trying to essentially convince me on the spot that my practice as a Christian of worshiping on Sunday was mistaken and that I needed to actually hold the Sabbath on Saturday, something like that. And that this is really what Jesus in the early church intended that along with some other strange things about the Bible. And so I actually started asking some questions like, you know, like, so what do I need to do to be saved? Cause they told me that this is about salvation. Like they, they I think they asked like, do you care about your salvation? I said, yes. So then they started giving off some verses. They said, oh, from the Bible, here we go. You know, I've got this verse about this here and this. And anyway, it wasn't that long of a discussion, but it just got me thinking. I don't think I was very effective, first <laughs> off. Like, I don't think I got anywhere in that discussion. And mm-hmm. I and I just, you know, I was reflecting on it t- today, thinking like, I, 
I should be totally prepared to just like talk to anybody about the Bible, about faith matters. Like I have a seminary degree. I'm happy to have those discussions, but there was something about that interaction that sort of froze me. And yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit. And maybe my first question for you is if you've ever had a conversation like that, like a kind of a door. Oh, sure. Doorway. Yeah. yeah. Discussion. Um, I think it's got to be really encouraging, though, to listeners to know that you had a very similar experience to what they would have in the same <laughs> circumstances, right? It doesn't matter how many books you've read. It doesn't matter you know, how much time you spend in seminary. Uh, these opportunities always happen when you're least prepared. Uh, they never address the topics that are fresh in your mind. It's always going to be something that's like, yeah, like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I read about this a long time ago and I can't quite remember, you know, it's going yeah. to be that kind of a scenario. So I've actually been on both ends of that. So I've been the guy knocking the door and I've also been the guy answering the door. Yeah, so. And so, you know, I'm old enough to remember when it wasn't that strange for, for all churches to do some sort of, you know, neighborhood outreach, door knocking kind of thing. And so I remember going out and, and doing it. And I think the reason why it's not as common now is because it's just not very effective. Like, like people don't answer their doors oftentimes. And even if they do, the doorstep isn't a great place to have any kind of a deep conversation and you run the risk of just alienating people more uh, than you want to almost in the way that whenever we have political campaigns, I think, you know, political candidates are probably the last people besides salesmen who are going door to door. And uh, I always think, you know, I, I imagine you lose more votes than you gain by, yeah. by knocking on people's door, you know, in the early evening when they're trying to have dinner. But but be that as it may, in my experience, none of those interactions will typically lead to like a, a big, profound conversation. And, and of course, you're no more likely to persuade the people who show up on your doorstep than right. they are to persuade you. And, and that's not usually their goal. I mean, they're, they're trying to get you to take one step farther, right? To go to a Bible study exactly. or... You know, in, in the case of a traditional church, uh, maybe come to a worship service or something like that. But but it does raise that question because it's not just people knocking on the door that this happens with, but sometimes, you know, people in your family, uh, people who you know, friends of yours may have, um, let's say, some really wild beliefs or just different ones from yours. And so it raises questions like how to deal with that well. So I'm going to say there's, there's, there's like two schools of thought, painting with a broad brush. We tend to approach these things either through an apologetics lens or through a missional lens. So the apologetics emphasis is more about having answers to the arguments. And the missional emphasis is more about trying to connect with and potentially win over the people that you're dialoguing with. And there is a little bit of tension between those two that you have to think through because depending on your, your goal in the situation and the kind of relationship you have with the person you're speaking to, you might take one approach or the other and see, you know, one is effective, one is catastrophic. 
you know, like, like yeah. it, it, it really isn't easy to know, to have like a one size fits all response. Yeah. I felt that in my discussion, I was, I was, um, in my bare feet, <laughs> but I got sucked into his argument. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like throwing all these arguments at me, these verses. And I was like, I can't just turn away. Like I, I feel like I, I got to correct this guy or, I feel like I have some obligation as a Christian to witness to him. Yes. Like, you know, like the, so it's kind of those, those two poles that you're talking about. So I stepped outside actually for a second and, and actually started kind of exchanging mm-hmm. a bit. And what I, what I felt was that this guy had like a prepackaged argument that he was just lobbing at me. And so I, I asked a few questions and he had, immediate answers and it was clear like these are you know kind of calculated responses as you know as they definitely are and it it got me thinking actually about this quote from gk chesterton i've been reading orthodoxy recently and he has that section at the beginning where he's talking about madmen or crazy people you know how they're actually very rational Mm -hmm. and they have very tight logical arguments and he says, a madman's logical circle is no more or no less infinite than a regular argument. It's just, he calls it narrow. It's small. And that's what it felt like. Like this conversation was almost stifled or suffocated by this tiny little logical argument, you know, and we didn't go back and forth that long, but that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. And Chesterson says like, when you're, when you're talking with that sort of a person, what what the mind needs is not another argument, but air. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it needs like to see that there's a bigger circle available out there. Yeah. And that's actually a good uh, warning, let's say, to those of us who are really attracted to apologetics. Yeah. Because what you're describing is what a normal person feels when they come into contact with someone who's been you know, trained in apologetics, who has like a series of canned arguments and responses to common questions that they can rattle off without really having to think through. Uh, it's that impression that we often give. And and you may feel like you're being very persuasive, you know, and, and that the, the things you're laying out there are irrefutable. But actually, the way that you're doing it and the way that you're interacting gives the impression of the narrowness that you're describing. And that even very sort of uh, intellectual kind of argumentation can be a lot less effective than people think it should be. So I'm not saying there's no place for it. Obviously, there's a place for uh, doing apologetics and for being able to ask hard questions about the assertions that people are making. But don't be surprised if it doesn't have the effect you think it should. You know, because everything that happens happens in this sort of relational space. And there's a, a reality that we're often not uh, aware of, which is anytime somebody's sharing with you their beliefs um, and you're sharing sort of your contrary beliefs there's a tendency to slip into a sort of um almost like a conflict mentality and pride ego is wrapped up in that we've all been in arguments where we we know on some level the other person is right (laughs) 
but, but you're we, never going to admit exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly where you where you're like you know like everything you're saying makes sense but i know you can't be right or even like i know he's right but i'm not going to give him the satisfaction of saying that you know that's what happens when we're in that sort of you know conflict mode if you're really going to get through to people you want to try to get around that and so there's something to be said for that missional approach right where whether I use arguments and apologetics tactically, strategically, my goal isn't to refute their arguments. It's not to make them feel stupid. Uh, it's not to show them that I'm superior, that I'm right and they're wrong. My ultimate goal is to try to get through to them somehow. Even so, that's not easy to do. You know, you can be as as kind and and as good a listener as you want and project a sort of missional attitude. I just want to get through to you, but that doesn't mean they're just going to open up and that sort of thing. So, so the thing I always tell students at, at worldview, when we talk about apologetics is that none of these interactions will ever go according to the textbook, right? They're they're more like, you know, fights or something where it's like you trained in the dojo, but then in real life it, it was just, you know, smacking and scratching and, and all that. And so you just do the best you can do. But if you can keep in mind uh, one thing, it's this, if, if it's me versus you, then the way to end that fight is to walk away from me. Now the, the moment I'm gone, it's over, right? You can spend as much time as you want on that doorstep, the moment they walk away, it's done. Unless there's a conflict not between me and you, but a conflict between you and you. Like if in the course of our conversation, through asking questions, through you know following up, making suggestions, whatever it is, if, if I can awaken you to some sort of inconsistency, then when we part ways, you can take that with you. Right. And, and think about it. And, and we've all had those encounters, right? Whether we were on the receiving end or the giving end where the conversation is over, but you can't get out of your head and, and you realize, oh, I've got this inconsistency and I need to think more deeply about this. That's the goal, like to give people that, that encouragement to think more deeply. Now, a lot of times the way that you'll find that tension is to look for places where you know their head contradicts their heart or their ideology conflicts their moral instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who has done a lot of apologetics with Mormons had a lot of conversations with with Mormons because there's a tendency to be very moralistic, you know, kind of a, a works righteousness focus is to develop rapport with those people and then essentially to 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 open up and say look you know according to to the standard that you're articulating i i think there's no way i could be good enough you know i mean i'm just not perfect like that and and ironically that has led to a kind of turn in the conversation where they're like you know what? i'm not perfect either and mm. you know kind of an acknowledgement that the the standard I've just articulated is actually too high for me as well. So there are ways to awaken those things. Uh, another friend of mine always tells a story about a, a relative of his who, who got deeply into the new age yeah. mindset 
and was really uh, like giving a hard time because he was raising his kids as Christians and, you know, kind of always butting heads over that. And, and at a certain point he, he just said, you know, it just dawned on me, like, you must think we're really bad parents. And his relative said, no, no, I don't. I think you're wonderful parents. Like she knew that on the level of her heart, even though her ideology would suggest that they were terrible because they were teaching their kids all these bad things. That conflict I think is, is a profitable internal one. The, the, the one that, you know, you'll often hear in apologetics um, when people say things like, Oh, there's no absolute truth. You know, there's no right and wrong, things like that. Uh, you always want to say, okay, but what about genocide? You know, don't we know that that's wrong? You know, aren't there things we know are wrong and not not just socially constructed? You know, it's not okay depending on the culture. And, and typically people do have a sense that certain things are not just cultural constructs. Like mm-hmm. there, there is a moral reality. And yet there ideology can't really account for it or, or actively denies it. So those are the things I think that, that um, you go for. If you're dealing with, with someone who's in a, a cult of some kind, if they're using scripture as a basis, then of course you're looking for, for inconsistencies there where they believe something, but then there's some difficulty in scripture they have to account for. Obviously, you know, we all have difficulties we have to account for. And so if, if you're going after the low hanging fruit, they probably will have memorized answers. But, but if you have the time, you know, and the spirit guides you, you may be able to find areas where that ideology doesn't sit as easily Mm. on their hearts as, you know, they might think it does. I recently read a book about, job interviews Mm -hmm. this is related i promise but (laughs) it was yeah it was all about finding talent and they had a section on job interviews i guess and these co-authors are just obsessed with finding good candidates through the interview process and so they had this section on how to conduct a successful interview and one of the things they said was get out of the quote-unquote interview mindset as quickly as possible because there are all of these expectations about how this conversation is going to go all of the kinds of questions that the candidate has prepared to answer Mm -hmm. and is ready for that but that is not the real person that you're getting what they want is to somehow ask an insightful question that you know sidesteps all of that preparedness and gets to the real person gets them to sort of act on the fly and i think that that kind of applies to this too and i think it's related to what you're saying if you can ask a question or bring up a conversation topic that gets them outside of that small logical circle Mm -hmm. to start maybe feeling something or you know bringing in a new perspective that's not just a a canned answer maybe that's your inroad to to start connecting with them or to get them to start thinking about something new yeah, yeah. And, you know, all of the things we've talked about in the past about, you know, Christ-like ways of treating one another apply in these scenarios, Yeah. right? So we want to respect 
people as image bearers, regardless of what they believe. I want to treat them with dignity. And part of that, I think, is wanting to get past the rhetoric to the person. Exactly. Yeah. You know, to, to if you can disarm the rhetoric a little bit and, and develop an appreciation for the person, it makes a big difference. And so I've you know, spoken with a number of people who've, who've tried to do this in, in really extreme ways. Uh, one of the guys that I teach with at Worldview Academy when he was living overseas actually did a weekly Bible study with a group of Mormon missionaries, and he would cook for them and kind of give them a uh, place where they could speak their native language and, you know, relax a little bit, and then they would have these conversations about theology. And I don't think that the result of that was that, you know, the Mormon missionaries committed their lives to to Christ and embraced Trinitarian orthodoxy and, and that sort of thing. But he did create a conduit there for truth and felt like they were influenced for the better. And even if they hadn't been, that they had been treated with dignity and respect by a Christian, that made a difference. And so I think that it's really good, first and foremost, to remind ourselves that that we're not, we don't need to win an argument, that we believe that the power of the Spirit changes hearts, not our rhetoric or eloquence. And that should let us off the hook a little bit for having to make it about conflict. And maybe open up some space for us to try to find those disarming questions and, and maybe get beneath the surface a little bit and and uh, and hopefully share a little grace with people who oftentimes really, really need it. I think that the challenge you have, whether you're, you're dealing with people on your doorstep or people you know, is that the things that are most easily refuted in their belief system are probably not the reasons why they believe it. You know, I, a, a friend who did a lot of outreach to Mormon communities said the, the worst thing you can do is start kind of mocking the shoddy history behind Mormonism, you know, talking about how easily it's, it's historical claims are refuted and that sort of thing, because that's not the reason why people believe that. That's probably the 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 chink in the armor from yeah. from a a rational or an intellectual standpoint, but it's also a place where there's a lot of defensiveness, and it's easy to sound callous, right? That that the the more I talk to you about the stupidity of those things, the more it sounds like I'm just saying you're stupid. Mm-hmm. And so it can be counterproductive if, if your goal is actually to connect with people and to try to share truth with them because you'd be the last person they'd want to hear it from. So that's hard for me to hear because I am the kind of person who wants to, you know, poke holes in the demonstrably false arguments that, that people make and, and also you know, I'm a product of my times and we're, we're in a combative age where we define ourselves by what we reject and hate. 
And so there's a lot of pressure on us, I think, not to show that respect and, and not to allow uh, people we disagree with to to have like a sense that, you know, we acknowledge their, you know, dignity and worth. And so yeah. I think that's that's an important foundation uh, to try to see people as Christ sees them, to value them as Christ values them. And then out of a sense of that value and love to do everything you can do to get through to them with truth and to realize that because you're trusting in the spirit, it's okay if you don't get it right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a huge pressure on people, you know, that uh, I don't know the right thing to say. I don't know the right words. I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. And the beauty of believing in God's sovereignty and the, the power of the Spirit is that we can acknowledge that God can use our errors, our mistakes, in order to bring people to him. And so the pressure is off of us to, to do it all in a perfect way. Yeah, I really think that all of this applies equally to conversations we have with family members you know on holidays yes our friends who hold weird conspiracy theories like things there's similar dynamics going on and perhaps the advantage of those relationships is that we enjoy hopefully some kind of extended relationship and interaction with them and i think that lends itself to the sort of missional attitude that you talked about mm-hmm. where we can we can respect their their humanity we can love you know love them in tangible ways as we continue to to speak truth and to ask questions and those things yes the challenge is that with family family reflects on us and so ironically differences of opinion in families can feel more threatening than differences with strangers right uh, you may disagree, you know, 10% with your crazy uncle and 90% with the weirdos who knock on your door. But that 10% difference with the crazy uncle is going to feel a lot more existentially yeah. threatening. That's true. And and that's the difficulty. You know, like it, it should be what you just said. It should be that around the the holiday table, those bonds lead us to be more generous towards one another, but all too often they're strained, right? (laughs) Because, because uh, of our own insecurity, because it feels like the errors of people who are close to us somehow reflect on us or threaten us even. And so we, we kind of lose our ability to show respect and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think as we're entering into the holiday season, you know, we're past Thanksgiving, we've got, you know, Christmas up ahead, New Year's. It's not a bad thing to be thinking about the, the fact that it's not just in our online interactions that we need to be Christ-like. We actually need to be Christ-like in our personal interactions as well and, and recognize that we're surrounded by people who have wrong beliefs. We're surrounded by people who believe crazy things. We ourselves probably have some false beliefs as well that need to be challenged. And so we want to have a certain degree of humility and willingness to kind of patiently bear with people and, uh, and at the same time, 
to try to shine a little light, you know? And I think that, that, um, those two things are not incompatible. You know, you don't have to say, you know, well, we're just not going to talk about this stuff because we have to be able to get along. We want to get along and we want to be able to talk about stuff, you know? And so we got to find that, that balance as difficult as it can be sometimes. Well, I told my wife I have a feeling that this couple might be back ah. to our doorstep, actually, because I showed a little bit of interest mm-hmm. in, in hearing from them. Right. So, uh, you know, if, if they come back, I'm going to keep some of these things in mind and yeah. we'll see what happens. Just have them come in, pull a little sourdough bread out <laughs> of the oven yeah. and, and a little Calvin's Institute. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, though. This is a helpful conversation. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.